Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hostel Road Trip Podcast, the podcast that literally takes its show on the road. Listen in as James Black and Bobby Dyer, owners of International Traveler's House Hostels, travel around the country to learn about these great locations and incredible people that come together to provide a unique and exciting experience for travelers from all over the world. Welcome back to the Hostel Road Trip Podcast, Season 3 kickoff here in Charleston, South Carolina. We are here with the godmother of hostels, dare I say, Miss Vicki Mattis. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, and Robert Dyer is with me again, co-founder of ITH Hostels. Yeah, excited to be here. A little chilly, but having a great time in Charleston. And we are in a real recording studio, which is so much cooler than the normal surroundings that we find ourselves in. Not that we don't love recording in the hostels, but this is a rare opportunity. And thank you so much for having us Absolutely. in your radio station studio. Thank you. But uh, as we always do, you know, we love to hear about your personal journey, which is going to be so very interesting as compared to others in the hostel industry. But how did you first get exposed to hostels? I was exposed to hostels when I was 18 years old, and my brother invited me to backpack across Europe with him. Oh, what a cool big yeah. brother. Nice. Yeah, that's right. It, it's all thanks to Pete, which mm. I call Pano. Mm. And um, he planned the whole trip, and he told me hostels are incredible. I had never stayed in a hostel in the U.S., but we went to... Oh, man, I have 20-plus hostels. Yeah, okay. And we did a six-week backpacking trip together. Nice. And, yeah, that's what got me started. Awesome. So that you go do that tour and you come back, but you're, as we just found on the right over here, you're not from Charleston. You're from Ohio. Well, I was born in Connecticut, and oh. then I lived in Michigan, and then I lived in Ohio, and then I lived in Florida and California and New York and New Jersey. Wow, what a gypsy. Wow. So I lived a lot of places. Yeah. And uh, How'd you fall here? I fell here because um, I went to the College of Charleston. Okay. But, nice. but really, I fell in love with Charleston, and they happened to have a college that didn't have a football team, which was kind of crucial for me. Okay. So my brother went to Penn State, and I spent a lot of time with him there. Yeah, yeah. It just, uh, it's not my thing. So It's it very is, overbearing it's sometimes. by the yeah. sea. It was public school. It just had such a great vibe, and Charleston's so walkable, so bikeable. It's so beautiful. Um, I fell in love with the city, and I've been here pretty much ever since. Cool. Now, how much longer after graduation did you open up the Not So Hostel? Well, it was in my senior year, actually, that... Really? Yeah, so uh, my second uh, half of my senior year. I started in December of 2006, and I graduated in May 2007. So I was working full-time and uh, and started to manage the hostel. Wow, we graduated college the same year and month. You look so much better than I did. <laughs> no, that's great. How did but you find the hostel? Or? Um, I knew someone that knew the current manager, and the way it works here is that like, if I ever left, I would have to find somebody. Uh, it's like not a job that's posted anywhere, or it's kind sure. of a word of mouth. And So I knew someone. She was leaving. She actually was going to get married to Joe Gill, who presented last year at the conference, who was oh, from Asheville. Oh, that was an circle. Yes, okay. Joe, real close. Um, so she still was in that hostel world, but she left, and um, yeah, they needed someone to take over the hostel. And that was cool. We got to meet your business partner, Bob, and, yeah. and you've got this uh, really cool like equity sharing mm -hmm. type of operation and structure. T yeah. Tell us more about that. How does yeah. that work? Yeah, so as a 
recent college grad with $30,000 in debt. I didn't have any equity, mm. didn't have very much credit. No. Um, but I had this opportunity to run this business, and we do a 25-75 split. Good so yeah. it's a good deal depending on which way. Yeah, well, as time <laughs> progresses, I'm sure, yeah. But coming yeah. out of college. Oh, my God. Debt, it's, no, it? it's actually been incredible. Because yeah. if I was a salaried employee, mm -hmm. The difference, um, I mean, I think I made $18,000 the first year, mm. you know, and then the next year, 21000 And yeah. then, you know, Creeping it just up. continued to grow until I could see that my efforts were related to how much I was getting paid. Which is great. Which is very different. Yeah, it's motivating. If, yeah. if, it's if I just got paid thirty grand a year mm -hmm. for the past 12 years, I probably would have switched careers or, or something. And right. it's very different that I'm so motivated. I'm so tied into the business. Mm. But now my 25% has become 20% because I saw how valuable it was. And so now all of my employees are tied into that system. So I give them 5% of my ownership. That's bitching. Yeah. That's good for you. Well, that also would explain as you've retained some awesome staff. I have. My yeah. staff stays for five years plus. So Unheard of in the Nicole industry. Nicole, yeah. before I stayed at the Annex for five years, and Bailey's on her sixth year. I love we Bailey. Just, She's great. Yeah. She is so wonderful. Yeah. She's, um, yes, her sixth year anniversary. And they're all so happy, you can tell. You know, and that's something that's a challenge. A lot of times you'll have that employee that stays for that long, but sometimes they run their course and you're both not happy with the situation. <laughs> yeah. But they're well, all glowing, so well, you're doing something right. Thank you. We provide housing. We yeah. provide incentives. Like, they're... Um, it's kind of more of a European model. So yeah. my business partner's European. I'm actually European. My 100% Greek, but my parents uh, are from Greece. I have my citizenship with Greece and the USA. Yes, the Greek, yes. But that model's a little bit different. So it's like if you have these comforts, if you have some secure mm. uh, lodging and you have some help with your health insurance and you yeah. have this space and time to explore other things like uh, I, I don't feel that we are we don't feel that same pressure that I think a lot of our cohorts do yeah of that living paycheck to paycheck and just the incredible pressure of uh, having to make everything work with limited funds and resources I, I yeah go ahead. and so much of that comes from having that team mm -hmm. you know by keeping mm -hmm. them together you're allowed to you know rely on them and they're comfortable and it kind of just goes keeps going in a full circle yeah and then when I realized too that um, I am not able to run my house without my staff you know <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. like I I'm getting I think too much of the credit for the not so hostile on the front uh, page of the business review yeah, and I yeah. get these awards the Highest Dream Business Awards, and yeah. the you know they the press wants to talk to me. We're in the New York Times, I but it's it my place. it's great. Yeah. It's in my it's my staff. Yeah, who's there like thirty five hours a week mm -hmm. every week? Yeah. Like who's scrubbing the toilets every day? It's like I did that for a long time, yeah. and I still do that once a week. I still like that's great. You so still work from the I still yeah. work yeah. the front yeah. desk. Yeah, yeah once yeah. a week. Um, How about the hostel? Tell us a little more about like the size of it and kind of has it's grown as now you have an annex house. Yeah, so the original size, we had 24 dorm beds at the main location and eight private rooms. And then in 2010, I opened up an annex location, which added an additional six private rooms. So we can we have 38 beds and we sleep 50 if everybody is... I really love the layout of your hostel, the original location, mm -hmm. as it's got a couple of buildings that kind of go back into this expanse of a property that you have a lot of open space, mm -hmm. plenty of parking, but the bonfire last night, things like that. Mm -hmm. Really cool communal spaces outdoor. Yeah. Have you always had <coughs> so many dorm, uh, the same number of dorm beds and privates, or have you kind of seen how the market 
demands more dorms and private and kind of fluctuated or it's always been the same oh really yeah nice mm -hmm. cool. you feel that's the best uh you hit it right from the beginning and you stuck with it well i just think dorm beds are really important and i know that people say that the market is in private rooms and i do yeah. see that in the weekend mm -hmm. yeah. but you know my people who stay in dorm beds it's just it's different like there has mm -hmm. to be hostel owners have to carve out spaces for backpackers or you right. lose the identity yeah, and the really energy do. of the place it, it's it's so true but i think that's so cool that to find out that you have that system with your staff of that as you rise they rise with you absolutely and they earn with you and i think that's great for other operators out there to hear sometimes your staff can get discouraged as you do better and they perceive and see you doing better mm -hmm. but not as much as they're doing better right. so I, I can definitely connect that now and seeing how your staff works and works with the passion that they have. Did you have any inspiration hostels that really got you excited to kind of start it or maybe some that you still follow? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, the same as yours. The <gasps> Hostel in the Forest oh, is a like place. a life-changing hostel for me. I've done several of their full moon sweat lodges. Uh, just all the green initiatives that we have at the hostel um, really were inspired by my background in permaculture. I, I lived out in California for a year and went to the New College of California for a little oh. little stint there and got certified in permaculture and grew my own food and had this love for organic farming. Um, but the hustle in the forest, I guess, brought those two worlds together. Nice. They have a gray water system, composting yeah. toilets. Yeah. You know, They make you take all your trash out so yeah. you have this awareness of how much trash you are generating. Um, so... That is true. It makes you aware of your footprint and your impact so yeah. much more and, and you're conscious of it. And little things like our trash bags, they're so much more ex well, not so much more expensive. I guess they're slightly more expensive, mm -hmm. but they're biodegradable, which ah. to me is just thinking full circle. That's what the Haas in the Forest really makes me reconsider. It's like, what's the full circle here? Mm -hmm. I'm putting something in this bag that's not going to decompose for s hundreds, hundreds of, of years. years. Yeah, so yeah. the smallest thing I can do is to yeah. make it in a bio-based bag. Yeah, yeah it's know? amazing. I was traveling in Brazil recently and you know, it's just the difference in the size of their trash cans. Like mm. in other countries, they have like tiny little, for us in America, it would be like the bathroom trash can. Mm -hmm. But in America, we need giant trash cans everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's amazing just how much trash we consume yeah, in we, America. We produce yeah. so, so much junk. Much. Yeah, right, yeah. and so I was part of the Green Business Challenge for the city of Charleston oh. for several years and always won the top awards along with Boeing and SCENG. And oh. then there'd be me, like the not so hostile. I love because, it. I love because we would track how much, how many gallons of recycling do we take out every week. We would track it all year long. We track our water bill, our That's energy awesome. bill. Um, yeah. I so little things like green cleaners. I don't. I don't expect my staff to use anything that I don't use. We use organic yeah. sheets, like yep. at, at, at everywhere possible. I think it's so important that consideration that's put into it. Like at the conference, we've been talking about your personality and your soul is in in it. In it. In it. Yeah. And right. so even though we don't advertise a lot of that stuff, it's just that it's important to all of us. And those little choices, you vote with your dollar. Yes. You really do. Yeah. yeah. You know, so when you're when you're buying, you know, uh, thousands of trash bags, like what kind of trash bags do I want to buy? Yeah. When I'm buying so much cleaner, like what kind of what cleaner do, do I want to yeah. buy? Yeah. yeah. I feel running a hostel is so much of, like we've been saying, a reflection of yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're like for our, you know, myself and us, we, uh, you know, grow all our own food and we try to live off our land in our garden uh, at our personal home and then also at the hostel as well and feed the guests as much as we can. But it's uh, so much easier to 
again, provide the guests with your same lifestyle. Use the same pillows that you give your guests. Use the same sheets that you give your mm-hmm. guests. The same mattresses that you have at your house are the same one your guests are getting because it's yeah. it'd be you know it's more challenging if you have to almost live two lives. You have your own personal life and then you have like the hostile life. It just doesn't. Yeah, you know, doesn't, it's not as authentic, preach, right? Yeah. yeah, I think it makes such an impact too when someone tries to take on the image of a green company for the marketing prowess of our advantage then you see the guy walk outside and throw a butt in the ground and a plastic cup in the trash and walk away you know <laughs> obviously your staff's not going to follow as passionately if the person yeah. leading the charge is living it yeah so i had this very interesting system for a little while with my staff was where if i didn't honor my word then i would owe them 30 minutes of service oh like it, look at you that's amazing it it's is very catholic of you it's a catholic <laughs> <laughs> interesting <laughs> a teacher a local mentor just that taught me how important it is like I can't have these policies and rules if I don't live don't them yeah, yeah. not to follow them but don't like yeah, like if I say I'm going to be there at 12 o'clock and I show up at 12.01 it's yeah. like what do I owe you yeah. I told this girl I would switch the laundry and I didn't and so the policy is like please bring it to my attention mm. and so then you know I, I think I did her laundry I washed someone else's car it's like that experiment was like okay how much am I willing to say? Like, yeah. will you switch laundry? I'm like, yeah. maybe. I might. Be. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. the answer is maybe. maybe. You know, yeah. or the answer is like yes, best. and I will do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Or no, I can't do that. So just bringing this awareness by doing it myself, it does spread to my staff. Yeah, organically it does. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just like you have to really embody who you like, who you want to be. Yeah. And then I created these like this feedback system too, just that. How am I doing? Yeah. Like, you know, the, I love Jack Canfield, The Success Principles. Uh, it's a fantastic, inspiring book. Yeah. But it's like, how am I going to grow through feedback? And, you know, my staff has brought lots of things to my attention. Like, yeah. oh, that's not fair. I can't do that anymore. You yeah, know? yeah. And that's so cru- crucial to have and be willing to accept that constructive criticism mm-hmm. so that you can get better. And so much when you get up at the top or you're running your own business, you can get that mindset of having, I think, not thick enough skin and not willing to take that reflective uh, moment yeah. to see how you're doing. Yeah. So I think that's great. How are we doing? Uh, Bailey will write me a list of everything I did wrong on that, a shift. That's you great. You know, especially that's I noticed, great. like, leading up to the conference when I'm stretched pretty thin, she'd be like, you didn't open the blinds, you didn't empty the coffee felt. I'm like, thank you, and I'm sorry. That's and I, will get, I won't do it next time. And, you know, but that my staff is on that level of comfort with, like, Here's Great our, communication. To bring it up at our staff meeting yeah. in front of everyone. These are all the things you didn't do. And yeah. well-trained. Very know. well-trained, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you being willing and big enough to accept it. That's uh, great. Yeah. yeah. Now, with your studying, did you study literature? Or I studied psychology. Psychology. Mm-hmm. Okay. And creative writing. It, oh, so the creative. I was going to how did the writing, because my next question is, and topic I want to talk about, you literally wrote the book uh-huh. on hostels. And for all of us, and as I, it's so cool to see at the conference when you have all these first-time hostel owners or people that are trying to open up, just like we were when we were getting into the business at USA Hostels, and you're like, well, there's got to be a book on this. How do I become a good hostel manager? And yours was the only book. Mm-hmm. We all bought it. We all read it. We all carried it around, and it fell apart, and you know, just beaten up and taking notes in it and everything. So when did that come about? How did that project evolve? Yeah. Um, well, I love doing research, and mm-hmm. so when I started this job without any experience, mm-hmm. I just researched on the internet. And if someone else had written that book, I would have just bought it and read it. Yeah, but no and one had. And years went by, and I thought, well, I've been doing this for six years now. Yeah. I'm just going to put all this together. And it took 
it took a long time um, for all that to come together. But then I went to India for a month, and I went and did all this different meditation, went to different caves. Oh. I was there for a month, and I realized as I watched, like I struggled writing this manuscript for the past two years, and it was not coming along. Mm -hmm. So I realized. I really wanted to get it done. I needed um, structure. I needed an outline. And instead of fighting against my natural inclinations, I just worked with them. Okay. Like when, if I sat down to write when the muse inspired me, you know, I would, it, I would write ten pages in two years. Like it would just, it would take a long time. I can keep myself busy with tons of other things. Yeah, yeah. So I set up this structure, and it took me two months. I went to the public library every day at noon from twelve to two. And if I was a minute late, I stayed. An extra 30 minutes, and if I missed a day, I had to go in on Saturday. Yeah. I also realized, yeah, like working with my mind and the discipline of my mind, really? and if I really wanted this project to happen, that's how it had to happen. And I kept, I, t I clocked in just like I was working for that's someone so cool. else, but it was for myself. Yeah. You know, this integrity with myself and this goal, and I didn't know if anyone was ever going to read it. That's the other thing when you put so much time and effort into this thing where it's like, does anyone care about this? You sure, know? Sure. And at the time, I had no feedback to say that anyone did. And this mm. is 10 years ago? Um, to the 12 years. 12 wait, no. When was the book published? Oh, sorry, 2012. Yeah. It was, oh, it was okay, from so 2012. Was Seven years ago. Seven years ago. Yeah. Now, when you took the book idea to publishers, did mm. you get just wild books, or was it easy to get the book published, or how did that go? Um, so I worked with my business partner who had worked with who had started book search. Oh, what a perfect Connection. business partner. Yeah. yeah. So it was immediately published. Oh, okay, yeah. And they put on all platforms. I didn't connect those dots there. Okay, but that it's, makes it's, sense. It's just a self-publishing platform, honestly. it's It wasn't anything special. Anyone could have done it. Oh, wow. Um, but, yeah, it has grown from there. And, and rumors of a second version coming out? Second version is coming out, nice. yes. A release um, date? Um, this year. Oh, my oh, wow. goodness! <laughs> this year. I want a signed copy. Uh, oh, my God. I've learned so much in the past five years, yeah. I guess. Um, and so much changed in the industry. So much has changed, yeah. and with the conference, too. And yeah. just, um, I think I write, I like a little bit more of the personal touch, you know, the personal stories of the people that have oh, come through. I had that great. one chapter in the back of yeah. just like a night in that life. But now that I've had a kid, like life is different. And sure. working in that, uh, and that constraint is different too. So I've got a lot. Well, more. we we thank you for the first volume, and we're looking forward to the second edition. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsorship, and then we'll get back and we'll talk real quick with Vicky about the Hostel Conference, American Hostel Conference, the revival of it, and the momentum we have going forward. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Hostel Road Trip Podcast. We're taking a moment now to talk about a great service called worldpackers.com. Worldpackers.com is actually how I got my start with the Hostel Road Trip Podcast. Worldpackers is a great service that connects travelers looking for a place to stay in a new city with the hostels who need their skills. You could do anything from house cleaning to reception to media and marketing and so much more. With a reasonable fee of $50 a year and a little bit of courage, you could find yourself anywhere in the world. For more information, just go find Grandpa Carlos surfing on the West Coast somewhere between California and Mexico. If you're having trouble finding him this way, he might be taking a siesta on his surfboard. If that's the case, scream to the heavens, Grandpa Carlos, we need you. 
and he'll be sure to answer the call. But if all else fails, just check out worldpackers.com. That's W-O-R-L-D-P-A-C-K-E-R-S.com. And now, we bring you back to your regularly scheduled program. Welcome back to the Hostel Road Trip Podcast. We are still here in Charleston, South Carolina with Vicki. And we were just talking a bit about the American Hostel Conference, which we are at right now. It's so exciting, as we were talking about earlier today, to have a collective gathering of some of the brightest minds in the industry, as well as some of the newer players in the industry, all mixed together under one roof. And everyone was giving you a bunch of kudos and pats on the back. I'll give you another one now for reviving this idea that there is a need for the American hostel industry to have a conference each year. But how did you go about, similar how we asked about how the book came about, how did you come about to say, I'm going to do this for, for last year, for the first one? Yeah. Um, I spoke at the World Hostel Conference in 2010 in Brooklyn and 2011 in Vancouver. And that was really inspirational. And I reached out to them, hey, are you guys going to do any more conferences? Or like, what happened? You know, because I really loved that community and that connection. And it was really exciting. Why did they cancel it? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. But um, so then I waited a few years. And yeah. then it's kind of the same thing with the book. It's like, well, if no one's going to do it, I guess I'm just going to do it then. Yeah, so yeah, you just grab the bull by the horns. I, yeah, yeah, I never planned a conference before. I mean, I just... I booked a venue and then I sent an email out. That's literally I just sent a, sent emails out. Feelers, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then like forty five people came last year. It and was this so year great though. Up to like almost sixty. Yeah, and I, what I thought was really cool last year, and we had the benefit of going to the first one and the second one this year. Yeah. But last year we kind of went on a conference tour. We came here. Oh. We went to the Hostel World Conference in Dublin. We went to the Hostel Skills uh, Conference in Germany, mm -hmm. and all within the span of two weeks. Incredible. So it was really cool to see the different formats and layouts, and we enjoyed yours the most because we oh. thought it had the greatest uh, balance of relative information, uh, good conversation, good panel speakers, but also an intimate setting where you could all get to know each other. It didn't have a corporate feel at all. Some of the, you know, the Hostel World Conference, you see a lot of guys in three-piece suits, you know, as we were talking about today, talking about they have hundreds of millions of dollars and they're gonna mm -hmm. buy out the whole industry and you're just like, oh my God, what is this? So it was really refreshing and as we were talking about it this year, and everyone's asking us, why aren't you going to Dublin? Why aren't you going to Germany? Like, we enjoyed this one the most. Thank you. Yeah, and we were like, we're gonna stick to the American one because mm -hmm. we're an American hostel mm -hmm. and we think it's important that this conference grows so once again, thank you for creating it and keeping it going. Uh, what were some of the challenges you faced in, in starting it? Well, <laughs> besides uh, that, it's a lot of work. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, just uh, a one-woman show. Yeah, there is right? no corporate funding. Yeah, um, really grateful to Cloudbeds. They signed up as a sponsor nice. both years. You uh, know, right. and I guess I, I just. I don't know, I've always had this sense if, if I really put it out there, mm -hmm. um, that people will come and that it will be supported. Just like, I think there has to be that um, leap of faith. It's kind of cliche, yeah. but it's like no, a it's little true, bit of yeah. like, I don't know if this is gonna work and that's okay. If you don't risk yeah. it, no biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, right? You know, you gotta think like that sometimes and just go for it. Yeah. But you know, and for listeners out there, you know, keep your eye on next year's conference for the third annual because what I've always said and I said earlier today when we were doing some of the speaking panels, it's so cool to see aspiring hostel owners mm -hmm. that have read your book, 
found you that way, now come to the conference, they still haven't opened up their hostel, they don't even know where the building is, but they're coming to collaborate and get ideas and brainstorm, and then to see them this year at the second annual one, having opened their hostel successfully, really is a, a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's definitely one of the best forums in America where you can meet, meet hostel people, hostel owners and share yeah. ideas. And then Charleston, as a city, I think is perfect for it. You know, it's a really cool, cozy little city, very intimate. And then having your hostel as a place to stay at, the networking just always goes on. You know, even after the conference is over, we have the nice bonfires at night. Everyone can relax and kind of let their hair down and get to know each other on a real level. And then to see and hear how all of those relationships continue to go on after the conference. Yeah. You know, we stay in contact with each other. We visit each other's hostels, and that's all because of you, because we all came here to meet you. So that's really a cool thing wow. that you create, you know, and it just goes, and the energy goes. So I, I think that, you know, you're really on to something here with the conference, and really exciting to see how you continue to evolve it and continue to help the industry grow, because it just really is needed. Mm. Now, other question, and a, and a hot topic at this conference as well, we talked about it last year at the conference, an association. Uh -huh, Everyone yes. wants an American association, but we have this difficulty of everyone is also a hostel owner, so we're all busy. You know, uh -huh. and, you know you've got your radio station, you've got your book, you've got all kinds of things going on, and it's difficult to run these things and put in the time and yeah. build the structure. And I, I think it's interesting how we kind of as a industry find ourselves in this like gray area of who should do it how are we going to do it how are mm -hmm. we going to set it up who's going to be responsible for it and it, what are your thoughts on that as of now yeah so last year we talked about um nato which is well i was excited I yeah I, national so uh, uh, i national wanted to be the southwest chapter president <laughs> <laughs> um of hostels in America, yeah. and uh, I, we had a call, mm -hmm. and it's just, um, yeah, it's just difficult to add work to people's plates, you know, and I run this nonprofit here, the radio station, yeah. so I know how difficult it is to run a nonprofit, and so I just, I just, um, yeah, I'm not sure, it just hasn't happened yet, it's yeah. kind of, it's like a seedling, it's still under the ground, right, and, yeah. but my vision for it really is that there's an environmental aspect to it. Oh, yeah, because there, there is, you know, there's Hustling International. Yep. There's, there are associations, and there might be more. I just, and they're all inclusive, which yes. is great on some level. But that's not really my vision. My vision is like, what is this hostel doing to make, uh, to make the world a better place? Like yeah. all hostels contribute in some way from the social aspect and cultural connections and breaking down barriers. Mm. But what is this hostel doing for the land that it sits on? You know, that is in business, like, I'm really interested in triple bottom line. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, so that is kind of my vision like of um, this hostel, you know, if you see the NASA symbols, like, this yeah. hostel um, has done significant consideration for the land that it sits on. Mm -hmm. And not just, uh, it's not just cool, it's not just, like, creating a place for people, it's, like, one step further. Yeah. And it's not having as much of a negative impact on the environment. Yeah, I love it. You know, I went to school at University of San Diego and they used to preach conscious capitalism. Yeah. And that was a really cool thing that uh, stuck with me in the way of like, make sure you're doing what's right, mm -hmm. not what's profitable. Yeah, oh. You know, and, and that, yeah. if that can come before the profitable and you can work that into your 
uh, culture, mm -hmm. then I think you can have a profound impact on uh, your operation. But regardless of how this association element evolves, as I keep on saying, whenever someone asks me if I'm going to uh, join their association or if I would join their association, I always ask, are you on it? <laughs> because if you're not, I'm concerned. And I think that you need to be, if not the key player, at least on the, in some type of advisory board capacity. Because as I was calling some of you earlier today, hostile OGs, you know, the original gangsters of the industry, I think it's so important that uh, you and a Darren Overby and the people that have really been doing this for a while and have established the industry well before the struggles that we all go through, which would have been significantly harder if you all weren't there. We didn't have the books to read or hostelmanagement.com to go to. I think it's important that that base is included, uh, at least an advisory board, because we'd be missing out on so much uh, intellectual uh, property, if you will, that mm. you guys have had an experience. So. I hope that we can get an association in place, but I think it is an absolute necessity that you're involved. Uh, so let's continue to work on that one. Now, to talk a little bit about the hostel, how did it get its name? Actually, Claire Cunningham, the original, the original founder. Named it. Yeah. What does it mean? Not so hostile. Mm -hmm. I think it it touches upon the stigma of hostels oh, a little bit. Okay. So it's like this is not what you think it's going to be. Okay. You know, it's nice. actually going to be a lot better. Nice. Right? It's going to be clean. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be comfortable. You're actually you're going to sit down with people from five different countries yeah. around the breakfast table and have coffee with them. And yeah, it's, it's going to just be... You can feel the vibes yeah. right when you walk on the property. Oh, yeah, okay. It's got a great feng shui to it, the flow of it and the energy of the buildings. And I think you've done a great job. And we were talking about earlier today, of course, everyone would love to build to suit and have the one massive commercial kitchen. But you know, you've got your situation where you've got a couple small kitchens. Yeah, I've got but five. You've made it work so well that it, it flows well together. And I, I think that's a, you know, a pat on the back for you and how you can create that within the space you had. Now, when it was taken over by you from the prior operator, mm -hmm. did you make any drastic changes? Oh, yeah. So there were some significant operational changes. Tell us about that. Well, there were no systems. People oh. took the keys and they threw them under the office door. That's oh, how they checked out. Oh, I love out. it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, there was just no, no systems. It was incredible. Um, you need your systems. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I got lots of systems. As you'll um, find in the book. I also threw everything away that was in the hostel. Just like all the furniture, all the couches, everything in the lobby. Repainted everything. Redid all the floors. Did, redid the ceilings. Just those were some big major ones. It was kind of a, I'll do this if I can if I can totally renovate it. I'm not yeah. going to take over. Man, I'm not going to run a hostel with like dingy, broken yellow tiles in the floor. Just mm. like, they're never gonna look clean. I need yeah. to renovate this whole thing. Uh -huh. um, so, not total renovation, not like what uh, Heather did at Black Elephant, yeah. not like that. Yeah. It was just, it, it was um, one year I did the floors, one year I painted everything. But when I first got there, I threw everything away. That's for sure. Yeah, you just, just like gotta get a little better each day. You know, paint yeah. one more a day or something. Yeah. And yeah, I liked how you talked about it with your business partner in one of the presentations that you have your facility fund or capital fund and each year you prioritize mm -hmm. and you work on each year. And I think people can get overwhelmed and in over their heads if they try to do everything at once. Yeah. And you really do have to take a look at it like, what can I realistically do? What's most important? Mm -hmm. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. Now, 
you're operated and took over the not so, but then eventually you opened up an annex mm -hmm. down the street, which is mostly private rooms, right? It's all private all rooms. All private rooms. Mm -hmm. And how far away is it from the original location? Five blocks. Okay. So yeah. within the wheelhouse here. Yeah. And that increased your occupancy, but we were also talking about the sweet spot earlier today. Oh, yeah. And you were just mentioning the Dun Dunbar's number. Dunbar's number. And I think that's a great uh, analysis there because you know, we were talking about that. And for listeners out there, if you're doing well and you feel like your hostel has got this awesome energy and it runs super great and everything's clicking, there is a number that you will cross mm -hmm. that you'll lose that. And tell us more about this uh, Dunbar. Well, specifically, this Dunbar's number, it's, um, it's a suggested limit to the number of people with who you can have a stable social relationship with. So some companies and corporations won't hire, for example, more than 150 people. Mm -hmm. Let's just say this is our capacity, or it's, it's estimated it's between 100 and 200. Okay. Um, so they just kind of generalize it around 150. But it's that, the, so Robin Dunbar found this correlation between the primate brain size and the average social group size and so that you can comfortably maintain 150 stable relationships and so I think what you were talking about the sweet spot um, yeah. like I love having 50 people I think that's great at night yeah. you know it's 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 a lot but yeah. it's also enough to be like how was the beach trip yesterday mm -hmm. hey did you find your laundry like mm -hmm. to have those relationships and then the next day do it all over again yeah um where I've been in some really big hostels, and it's as soon as it gets into feeling like a hotel, then it feels less natural to be like, hey, what'd you do yesterday? Mm -hmm. Because the environment, I was talking so much about design is so important. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I can't remember who said it, but like we design buildings, or and then the buildings design us. Yeah. You know, it's like we are the so. Energy flows both ways. Yeah, we're mm. so highly influenced by design, and good design is so beautiful. You know it when you see it, and you yeah. know it when you feel it. But the layout of the hostel is just that we, we kept the original house structure mm -hmm. from the 1800s. Nice. And so there's a lot of private spaces. So it honors both, yeah. like, which is kind of what's happening now. You can, you can have your little kitchen, and yeah. then you can go to the big kitchen and, yeah. and interact. Or you can go to your private room, or you can hang out in the lobby on the porch. Yeah, like you said, it happens naturally. Like Even if you're the manager, the owner, and you're the same person and trying just as hard, I feel like the guests... Uh, just act differently if there's more people around, you know, versus yes. if they're 50, people are just more comfortable. But if you have a 125 or 150 bed hostel, the guests just, for some reason, naturally just are a little more standoffish and more private, not as, Makes you know, people community. more introverted. It's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. I, even as a, uh, a backpacker on the other side, but now when I look for hostels, mm -hmm. I prefer the smaller ones. Yeah. I want to go to a 50 bed or less hostel because I know the experience is going to be like a hostel and I'm gonna feel the owner's character in the hostel. Mm -hmm. I'm probably gonna meet the owner. I'm gonna be able to have a conversation with him. And then from the operating standpoint, we have our Little Italy location we were talking about earlier today. It started at 18 beds and it was the most bohemian little, you, you knew everyone's name and you knew where they were going and mm -hmm. you felt like you could smother everyone with customer service. And then it got to 50 and you still felt the same and then it crossed 100 and I was like, this isn't the same. And now it gets closer to 150 and none of the original systems work. Well, you know, all the uh, original uh, operations you got to throw out the window. You, you also need, you need now, instead of having one washer, you need yeah. three washers. Yes, yeah. You know, because just the multiple gets so, big, yeah. gets so scaled up. Yeah. So you really got to redesign your whole facility. And I feel like as an operator, when I'm in that location, I change. I become more introverted. I become more overwhelmed. Uh -huh. I don't know the people as well as I used to. Yeah. I feel like 
not uh, part of the operation, but I feel at that moment is like the only time I feel like I'm an owner that's distant and detached. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those guests look at me like that too. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the smaller operations that we have, you walk in and you get hugs. Yeah. You know everyone's name and you check them in. You did. So there, it's a de really defining difference. And I think that when you see these big hostels with three, 400 beds and they're all fired up, I'm like, it's not a hostel. You know, I mean, it's almost like a cattle barn and you're just like <laughs> pushing people through. I think it's because you see maybe um, you see people like, oh, I just saw that person. Yeah. And I just saw that person again. I, I saw that person 10 times today. Now I feel so like, yeah. Now I could be like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, and I think that's yeah. what's really going to, you know, make what, what makes Hostel special and what's really going to keep us uh, so unique as the years go on and we progress um, compared to like the newer hotels that are building more social areas. You know, those hotels, they need to have 150 rooms to cover this hundred million dollar project that they created you know mm. where the hostels I think the great hostels are gonna stay you know around that 50 beds mm. so you can provide that intimate experience meet the host meet the owner and, and we were meeting guys at the hostel world conference last year the three-piece suit guys you know yeah. and they were like oh you uh, we've looked up your operation like why would you ever open up a bed a hostel with less than 200 beds that makes no sense and we're looking at them we're like what you're opening is not a hostel, you know, you're, you're just looking at it from such a margin perspective. Yeah. Of pushing people through, and they're not thinking about the experience. And I find it so interesting how they'll say, why would you open up a hostel with less than 200 beds, and how do you have that special sauce? And I'm like, your two questions just answered each other. Uh -huh. You know, like, and you can't figure that out. And that's something we talked about today in the conference of uh, the podcast project we're doing here is to preserve and highlight all these genuine, authentic hostels that you can feel the character of the owner in the walls and the blood, sweat, and tears. And that's what we're really going to try to do going forward is to continue to highlight those operations. And we find it interesting that a lot of those larger operations in season one and season two didn't want to participate. They were like, that's probably better off yeah. because this isn't for them. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to take one more quick break here. And when we get back, we're going to talk with Vicki about the perfect day in Charleston and what the experience at her hostel is from the backpacker perspective. Stay tuned. Thanks again for listening to the Hostel Road Trip podcast with us. We want to take a second to talk about one of our sponsors that keeps the road trip alive. That is the International Traveler's House Hostels, located in San Diego at three locations, Big Bear Lake and Newport, Rhode Island. International Traveler's House provides a unique experience at each one of their locations with great staff, great food, and tons of connections to the local community so that you can have a great time vacationing, traveling through, or staying for a while. If you want more information on ITH, check out ithhostels.com to check out videos, pictures, blogs, and direct booking to our locations. Thank you again for listening. We hope you enjoy the conclusion of this episode. Welcome back to Hostel Road Trip Podcast. We are closing out first episode of season three, southeastern U.S. We are here in Charleston, South Carolina, with the godmother of hostels, Miss Vicki. And we are closing out with talking a bit about your awesome hostel, as we could sit here and talk with you about you forever. But let's talk a little bit about the facility. So you broke it down, how we have the main house, we have the annex. But tell us a bit about Charleston. What is the, a backpacker experience like here? Yeah, it's a beautiful city to explore. Yeah. I find that if you build your hostel, people will come to explore it. Yeah. And um, so like other surrounding cities that don't have hostels, I find that backpackers will just pass it by, even if it is an incredible city. Yep. Um, 
Orleans, but we're lucky that we have a place for backpackers yeah. and that you can walk everywhere it's in the city. It's a walking city. I love it that. It is, and it's Old so school. beautiful. And what is perfect about Charleston is that they have really preserved the historic yes. charm and character of it. So Colonial if I times. wanted yes. well, if I wanted to paint my house white, which is currently white, I'd have to go down and apply for a permit mm-hmm. to paint it the same color it is. It's like it's very considered, and you see that in... Uh, in this city, and it's very different from other cities where zoning's a little bit more flexible, mm-hmm. or you can just do you know whatever yeah. you want. There aren't like in Houston, there is no zoning, so it's yeah. so yeah, yeah. interesting. Preserves it so well. Yeah, the yeah. people will just knock down these old houses that right. are commonly great for hostels with high ceilings and big mm-hmm. rooms. And uh, we operate out of a lot of historical homes in San Diego, mm-hmm. and the historical society loves us because when we go and say like, hey, we want to not touch this we want to preserve this building we want to use it in its format yeah when they usually have developers that are like at very best can i pick it up and move it somewhere so i can build some monstrosity here yeah so i think that's spot on with how you have a great walking city that's kept its like original form to it Mm -hmm. but i noticed as we were driving over here this is a coastal city what is it like in the summertime with like the beach and the coastline? What, what goes on there? Yeah, so we're um, nine miles from the beach, from mm. Folly Beach, and it is hot in the summer, but I love it. Hot and humid. Yeah, it's hot and humid, but it's incredible weather. I mean, yeah. the beaches are sandy and beautiful, oh. and um, yeah, it's just an incredible city. Is it a big sailing everywhere. town? Is that uh, yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot of sailing. Yeah. It reminds me of Newport, Rhode Island. That's where I'm from. So it oh. has that like colonial feel, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the coastal town, like a city by the sea type yeah. of feel. I also find like what we were talking about earlier about Dunbar's number mm. and and growth. Mm. It's a peninsular city, so just like San Francisco, just like Manhattan, it's not going to get any bigger. And so they have really worked hard to preserve what is here, and so that now. I mean, recently that they could build buildings a little bit higher than a church steeple, but until like a year ago, you couldn't. Uh, so when you walk down King Street, it's approachable, it's small, it's comfortable, it's um, it's just heralds to a different time when money wasn't the most important. Very thing. true. Maybe less materialistic. Yeah, or yeah. it's just it was considered differently, like the ornate architecture and the time they took with it. Yeah, yeah and it was just it was. Um, yeah, it was very well considered and preserved. It's an interesting comparison because we were talking about a lot today in the podcast, in the conference, the large cookie-cutter size hostel where it's more like a Motel 6 and they're just putting in boxes and rooms and they're all the same. Right. No matter what city you're in, they're all the same. I think that's really cool in the construction here in this city. They've preserved it and you can see the effort and the detail, the craftsmanship that used to go in when a guy would build a house he was so proud of. This is John Bolton's house, and I yeah. built this house with my sons, and it's just perfect. Yeah. Well, like for example, if you go to the annex, the porch is severely slanted, or at the main location, the middle house on the top floor, it's slanted. So we'll get reviews like, this house is falling down. It's uh, like, no, we can't fix that if we wanted to. Yeah, like, the yeah, city yeah. is like, that is a historical part of this structure. And you can't wow. change it. So I don't know if you guys have been upstairs, but it, the, the porch yeah. is like this. I thought I just drank too much. But no, it's I an intense slant. <laughs> um, and it's just like something is kept, I guess, when yeah. um, 
that charm, it, it just goes back to a different period, different way sure. of thinking, different way of living, because now it's harder to get that unique experience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and for potential operators out there, always look to historical homes in your city as a mm -hmm. great option to explore for opening up a hostel, because a lot of people don't know what to do with these spaces, yeah. and a lot of people can't change the spaces, yeah. but you can revive these spaces. Right, mm -hmm. and so for people coming to Charleston, the, the touristy thing, yeah, I guess, would be to do? like go down to the market, but we tell people to go the opposite direction, like go to Hampton Park, ah. you know, go see where there used to be a racetrack, where they used to have the World's Fair. I mean, what can you do in a park? Just just sit and enjoy the park. Take a moment. Take a moment. Go to the yeah. Park Cafe, which is right yeah. next to it. It's like, where if you lived here, where would you go to eat? Yeah. If you lived here, where would you go hang out? It's like, I'm not going down to the market. Yeah. You know, um, or the Angel Oak Tree, which y'all should definitely go Angel see. It's one of the oldest trees in the southeast it's oh. just been beautifully preserved it's free to go to the the root structure is bigger than this room i mean it is are those southern oaks is that what it like isn't it a different oak tree a southern oak is that a true um yeah, generally i mean oak yeah. trees generally yeah there's different kind of oaks yeah I, I, I always still remember southern oak was like the strongest wood yeah yeah they're uh, big it's big and beautiful yeah. i think it's 1200 years old it's like wow. incredible so wow. just to go there and be in its presence um, and that how hard the city has worked to preserve it to prevent development mm. from coming around it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just to walk around and see what it's like to walk around with the brick that has been there for hundreds of years. And you're right off of King Street, which is the main strip, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's a it's a young college town. You know, you yeah. got a lot of vibrant things going on. So mm -hmm. I think that's also something we've learned in our past two visits here for the conferences. Is just once you get here, you know, throw on the shoes and you can walk around anywhere. And it's a fun city to walk around. It's enjoyable to look at the architecture and all those things. I got one last question about the architecture. Yeah. What's up with the porches with the door that are then open behind it? Um, so it used to be that you were taxed based on your like number of windows you had oh. facing the street. Oh. And then also it had to do because there wasn't any air conditioning. I guess the wind came in differently from this side. Oh. So you could have this huge house, but on the front of the street you'd have four windows. I got you. Yeah, okay. instead of your house being long way this way. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah the construction and then you could also unique. catch the sea breeze. Okay. On the side of the porch. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, backpackers out there. This is a hot spot to come check out. And still, is this South Carolina's only hostel still to this day? Yeah. Well, you are representing it well, <laughs> solely you. by yourself. But make sure to put the Not So Hostel on your agenda to come check out, whether you're a backpacker or a hostel operator. It's definitely a can't miss. And stay tuned for upcoming news on the third American Hostel Conference next year. It's getting better every year. And we just want to thank you once again, Vicki, for putting on this conference, writing your book, and inspiring all of us you know, here at this table and behind us at this conference to take that leap of faith and to do it. You know, you've got so much good karma coming your way for that. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for doing what you do, too. It's oh, wonderful. It's yep. been an honor Thanks to for be having on us. It. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm Jimmy Black. I'm with Bobby Dyer. It was a great episode. Thank and you, Vicki. And Vicki Mattis. And we are closing out episode one. We hit the road on Thursday. We'll be going to North Carolina and Tennessee and recording episodes there. And you'll find those on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks so much.